This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. A federal judge in Florida said he would probably unseal part of the affidavit detailing the FBI's justification for searching Donald Trump's estate. He gave the agency a week to decide which part to redact. The FBI has argued that releasing the affidavit would undermine its investigation into whether the former president mishandled classified documents by dissuading witnesses from cooperating. Alan Weiselberg, the longtime chief financial officer of Mr. Trump's real estate business, pled guilty to 15 tax-related felony charges filed by New York's Attorney General. He agreed to testify if called at a separate trial against the Trump organisation. The plea deal means he could serve five months in prison rather than up to 15 years. Prosecutors allege that Mr Weiselberg evaded paying tax on perks, such as rent-free apartment and school tuition for his grandchildren. Russia warned of a human-made disaster at Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear plant, which it captured in March and threatened to shut down if shelling continued. That would risk, quote, a radiation disaster at the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, said Energo Atom, a Ukrainian nuclear company. On Thursday, Russia's foreign ministry rejected international calls to demilitarize the surrounding area. America and Taiwan said they would begin trade talks under an initiative established jointly in June. The first round of negotiations will take place in early autumn, said Sarah Bianchi, America's deputy trade representative. China said it opposes the talks and warned America to, quote, stop making misjudgments. The announcement comes as tensions between America and China over the status of the self-governing island which China regards as a breakaway territory, are at their highest in decades. Russia's foreign ministry said it was pursuing, quote, quiet diplomacy with America over a potential prisoner swap involving Brittany Griner. The American basketball star was sentenced to nine years imprisonment for entering Russia with cannabis oil in her luggage. America has reportedly sought her release, along with that of Paul Whelan, a former Marine detained in Moscow, in exchange for Victor Boot, a Russian arms dealer locked up in Illinois. Turkey's central bank cut interest rates by one percentage point, despite inflation running at 80%. The move surprised investors, who expected the interest rate to remain at 14%. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president, thinks that high interest rates cause inflation and has fired central bankers who disagree. Germany announced it would temporarily slash sales tax on gas as the country prepares for shortages this winter. The reduction, from a 19% tax to 7%, will come into effect on October 1st and expire in March 2024. Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor, said that the benefit of the tax cut will be greater than the burden of a simultaneous gas levy put on consumers. And fact of the day, 51%. Visa's net margin in 2021, making it one of the most profitable companies in the world. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. South Korea and Japan court disaster. 
Yun Suk-yeol has historic ambitions for his country's relationship with its neighbor, Japan. On August 17th, South Korea's president said that the two countries' enmity, stemming from Japan's colonial rule over Korea from 1910 to 1945, could be swept aside amicably and promptly. His enthusiasm is understandable. A bit of bonhomie could make both countries richer and more secure, especially in the face of rising tensions in the region. His optimism makes less sense. The path to rapprochement is long and treacherous, and the journey could end almost before it has begun. In 2018, South Korea's courts approved the seizure of assets from certain Japanese companies, on the basis that Koreans had been forced to toil on their behalf during the Second World War. The liquidated assets would be given to the victims. The companies refused to pay, but the court's final decision may come as early as Friday. Forcing the firms to pay up will enrage Japan and will probably put pay to Mr. Yoon's aspirations. Russian-Israeli Relations in the Dock Lawyers for the Jewish Agency for Israel, an international organization which acts on behalf of the Israeli government, will appear in Russian court on Friday. The Kremlin wants to disband its presence in the country. Russia accuses the JA, which helps Jews move to Israel, of illegally collecting the personal information of Russian citizens. The threat seems to be a warning to Israel not to change its stance on the war in Ukraine. Israel has so far remained neutral, partly due to its own large Russian-speaking population. But the country's prime minister, Yair Lapid, condemned Russia's invasion before he took office. The scale of emigration since the start of the war suggests that many Jews agree with Mr. Lapid. The JA reckons that around 20,500 Russian Jews have moved to Israel since March, over 12% of Russia's estimated Jewish population. The Kremlin may succeed in shutting down the JA, but that will not convince other Jews to stay in Russia. A deadly toll for aid workers. Wherever there is conflict, there are people who run to help. Being an aid worker in unstable or violent regions always carries risks, but 2021 was the deadliest year in nearly a decade for humanitarian staff. According to data from Humanitarian Outcomes, a consultancy in London, 141 were killed. On Friday, the UN will mark World Humanitarian Day with a campaign to raise awareness about the rising toll on aid workers. Despite there being fewer violent incidents in 2021, compared with the previous two years, the 268 reported attacks, mostly shootings and airstrikes, resulted in more deaths and 117 people were kidnapped. South Sudan remains the most dangerous place in the world for aid workers. Afghanistan comes second despite a dip in overall violence since the Taliban returned to power. With war now raging in Ukraine, this year could be even worse for humanitarians. Mike Pence's Brainstorming 
The Iowa State Fair is a rite of passage for presidential aspirants. In campaign years, candidates and the hacks covering them flock to Des Moines to consume calorific inventions served on sticks and glad-handle voters ahead of the country's first nominating contest. The next presidential election is not until 2024, yet on Friday, Mike Pence, Donald Trump's former vice president, will make an appearance in Des Moines. He comes to Iowa straight from New Hampshire, another early voting state. There, he told attendees at an event that Republicans should stop attacking the FBI over its raid of his former boss's estate, and that he would consider testifying before congressional investors probing the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. Mr. Pence appears to have completely fallen out with Mr. Trump. His itinerary suggests he may well covet the presidency for himself. Does presidential campaign season now start before the midterms have even finished? Stasi Assassins, Synths, and a Suitcase Cleo is intense and brutal from the off. Set after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the series, released on Netflix on Friday, follows Cleo Straub, a fictional former Stasi assassin. Staub embarks on a mission to settle scores, deploying disguises, dark humor, and outlandish fashion choices that will remind many viewers of the BBC's Killing Eve. Feminist revenge dramas are in vogue. They can seem repetitive, but Cleo attempts to differentiate itself with a historical twist. The show explores the contrasts between East and West Germany in the post-Soviet era and is infused with real events and people, such as Erich Milka, the Stasi chief. There is also a suitcase full of clues for the spy drama addicts. It is a novel way into a subgenre that every streaming company wants a slice of, and Netflix could do with a boost. It lost nearly one million subscribers in the three months to July, the biggest drop in the company's history. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. What is the currency of Armenia? Thursday. Under the imperial system of measures, what unit was equal to one seven-thousandth of an avoirdupois pound? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of The World in Brief. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Chanakaya, Aurora, New Delhi, India, North America, Evan McLean, Seattle, USA, Central and South America, Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Europe, Sriram Chari, Bath, UK, Africa, Hasit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya, Oceania, 
Rob Hugal, Brisbane, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Burkina Faso, Baltic, Nukes, and Oracle. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Groucho Marx, who died on this day in 1977. Learn from the mistakes of others. You can never live long enough to make them all yourself. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.